Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I'm very tired, and we have some house cleaning to do. Wake up. Wake up, Gerald. We have the most exciting house cleaning we could ever possibly do. Housekeeping? Did I say cleaning? You said cleaning. That's okay. I was going. To, I was just, just going with it to make you feel okay. That is incredible, where I was just like, I'm tired. Also, what are words? <laughs> <laughs> well, it can only go up from here. So uh, we're going to do a part of the podcast that if it was up to you, I believe we would never do because you don't want anyone to support us ever. Look, but, it's in my Twitter bio, you know, okay. there, there's like the helpful like wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of thing going on that's, there. That's something. Turns yeah. out that's, that's not good enough. Probably not. No, it, it's been a minute since we talked about the ways you could support the Arena Decklist podcast. And that was um, mostly intentional. Uh, number one, neither of us likes doing it, really. Number two... We just wanted to make sure our house was in order, things were okay. Uh, we had some some mailings we had to do for patrons, which have since gone out or in the process of going out. So feel pretty good about that. So wanted to tell you all about our Patreon page. Uh, we don't really do a lot with it. It's just a way for you to throw, throw us a <laughs> really little Really selling it. Really well, selling look, it. No, here's how I sell us, Gerald. I sell us honestly. I sell us as who we are. You know, we make this this podcast for you every week. Hopefully, people enjoy it. Uh, a lot of nice responses to our limited podcast, by the way. Hell yeah! So uh, I appreciate that from all the folks who chimed in. The numbers and, were were pretty decent too. Yeah, they were solid. Uh, you know, I don't think we got a bump, but we also didn't take a huge cut or anything. So that's it's nice to see. Wait, uh, okay. So, on on that topic, can I just say how outrageous it is that there's a sealed PTQ on Arena this weekend? Yes, you may say this, and they don't have any sealed tournament queues up. Uh, you and I actually sat down to legitimately practice, like as real Magic players would do, log in, build some sealed pools, play games, and we just couldn't. I was like, where where'd the queues go? Not there. <laughs> what happened? Uh, it's wild. It is absolutely wild. But you want to know what's actually more wild is that until we discovered that, I didn't see anyone mention it. No one was like, hey, where are the sealed queues? Which means like, what, nobody's trying to practice anymore? Nobody cares? I I guess. I guess that's true. I think I turned on MJ's stream that night and he ran into the same thing where he was like, he was drafting. So his, his thing for Arena was like, I'm not drafting white and getting to Mythic, which is awesome. Yep. And then he was like, okay, time for some sealed practice. And he's just like, what the hell? <laughs> Where are the cues? No sealed practice. And not I was like, happen. I was just like, yep, I feel you. This is just patently absurd. Anyway. It is absurd. Yeah. What was I saying? Something about supporting us. Patreon. So yeah, there was a long time where we were doing like regular Patreon mailings. We can't do that. It's it's not realistic. We are not <laughs> equipped to do a full scale shipping service every few months where we were literally mailing thousands of packages around the world. Not sustainable. So what we did this go around is we just looked through our Patreon role. And if you gave us you know, a bunch of money over the years, we sent you some stuff. And I think we'll just continue to do that going forward. Every now and then we'll take a look at our role and throw out some nice surprises. So we sent out some deck boxes uh, or in the process, sending out some deck boxes. We sent out some T-shirts and hopefully people appreciate that and are OK that we're not really following that strict schedule anymore. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, at, at least, you know, towards me, <laughs> people have been rather kind about it. I have not heard a whole lot of like disparaging remarks or anything, which is 
nice, but also I feel really bad. But at the same time, it's just like, uh, you know, things things got done. Maybe a little later, maybe not in the way that you would have wanted. But I also think that we were like pretty generous this go around. And Tried to be. Yep. Yeah. There, there are definitely folks that were like, for example, like not in the tier to get a T-shirt, but because of like lifetime contribution got one. Right. So some some folks just like got a lot of extra stuff. And yeah. I'm I'm super happy to do that because we are very thankful for all the support and everything. And, you know, here we are again asking for more of it. But yeah, I mean, I know that both you and I want to find a way to give back, whether it's just like, you know, our time and being available for questions or, or what have you, or just in the case of like physical merch and we, we definitely do appreciate it because it, it is what allows us to keep doing this and we like doing it. Yeah. I also always try and bring, uh, you know, a backpack full of swag with me to events. And then I, I post that in the Patreon and no one ever hunts me down for it. So I just bring home a backpack full of swag. But if I'm at an event, I probably have something that I'm willing to give you. And if you want to come say hi, I may forget to give you something though. So you have to be like, Hey, give me something idiot. And then I will. Yeah. I brought some stuff with me to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm, Same. Did you give anything out? Well, okay. So granted, we were not there for very long. True. But also, I had not been to an event in two and a half years. So I was, I used to be good at the stuff because like right before the pandemic, we were, we had just been ramping stuff up and things were going really well. And I was getting good at handing out like business cards that are also blank tokens Mm-hmm. basically and i had like some pins and stuff like that and i was i was really good at that stuff and i just like forgot i just forgot how to do it so yeah, you just like froze like a deer in the headlights yeah as, soon I, as you walked into the convention center i think it was like an hour into the car ride home where i was just like oh yeah i still have like all this stuff because there were definitely people that i would have given stuff to oh for sure for sure so i blew it and can certainly get better at that but y'all could just ask too yeah Always never feel bad about asking, hey, do you have any swag? I'm more than happy to share. I think someone asked me for my pen. That was about the (laughs) closest thing that happened. Yeah, fair enough. If I have an extra pen, you can have that too. What's mine is yours. Yeah, but I, I, this is a fine moment to say thank you to all the people who have supported us. And, uh, you know, just remind you you folks out there, if you've been listening for a while and you want to throw a bone our way, we do have our Patreon site, patreon.com slash arena decklist and we're working on a new thing right now it's not ready yet it will be soon we're teaming up with our friends over at mtgproshop.com we're gonna have a little storefront there and you'll be able to you know order some stuff with our merch on it be it those t-shirts that we've sent out in the past i believe there's going to be hoodies which are really cool binders what else? Play mats should be available. So if any of that stuff interests you, it's not there yet. Once it is, we will, you know, do the Twitter stuff and the retweet stuff and, and make sure y'all know about it. And what I'm really angling for, and I think I have convinced Brian, I don't know if I can have convinced the folks at Pro Shop or that I'll be able to, mostly because I haven't tried yet. But that will be maybe not the next email I send, but the email after that is that I think for the first go around stuff is going to be priced much cheaper than it will be say a few months from then, because yep. uh, let's go like a little promotional sale or something. And then, yeah, maybe in like three months or six months or something, we'll, we'll move it back up to like 
more to be more in line with what the rest of their stuff on their side is at. But in in the short term, I felt like if you know folks wanted to get it into their hands or whatever, just ASAP, then we should find some way to help facilitate that. And I think that that's a good idea. Yep. I like this plan. So things will launch a little cheaper than where they'll ultimately settle. Uh, but like I said, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, when the time comes. I also want to mention uh, folks at MTG pro shop. They're in the middle of their uh, pride campaign right now. And they have some nice merch there. You should go check it out. It's right on the front page. If you just go to MTG you can see their whole pride collection. They have cool t-shirts uh, play mats. And uh, I, I know a portion of the sales for all that stuff gets donated to the Trevor project, which I know uh, you're a fan of Gerald. I am also a fan of, so yes. love to see them doing that. Yeah, it's good stuff. I don't know for, for the folks who are not aware MTG pro shop is like run by Legion supplies. I think that is like the, the correct way to say it basically, but they had they had like the booth set up at like all the pro tours when we we're having live events and whatnot. So if you bought like the pro tour playmat, you probably bought it from Steve Port, who you know made all the the merch that they were selling at those PT stores. And yeah. that it's it's good stuff. It's good quality, and you know they're they're the ones that did the fulfillment on all of our stuff this time, and at least the last time. I'm not sure if there were times before then. I don't think so because we didn't do many of them, but. Uh, we use them because they're quality. The end. Yep, agree one hundred percent. What else? Any other shilling we need to do? Maybe this isn't shilling, but did you all catch the video we did with the folks over at Card Market? Oh, this yeah. past week. Yeah, we should uh, definitely talk about that. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun, and I think they do such a good job with their videos. You know, they just basically we we hop into a video call and it's just us chatting about stuff, and then you see the final product, and it's like cool animations and faces zooming all over the place and really crisp production and sounds great. So you should definitely check out their videos uh, in particular at the one that Gerald and I did uh, because it was a lot of fun and I want to do it again. I want to do it again too. Carl, the host is probably the best person at that job that I have worked with. Really good. Yeah. Which I mean, I've, I've worked with a, a reasonable amount of people at this point. Right. And so normally I'm just kind of like expecting average or above average if they've been doing it a while, but he was just like so good, so smooth, so awesome. It was just genuinely like very good to do. And I think that he is like an excellent host in the videos. And then he, he said something to the effect of like, well, you know, maybe if you're ever in, in Germany and you know, want to like play some like live games or whatever, we can get you on again. And my, my first thought, which I didn't say to him, I probably should have was just like, what if I moved to Germany? Can we just do that? <laughs> <laughs> just full time playing games. Yep. I mean, that doesn't sound bad. Like you're exactly right. Carl was great. Everyone involved was great. It was a uh, all around positive experience. And it seems like folks really enjoyed it. And I think it was a good way for us to speak to some people who we don't usually get to speak to. Like there's a difference between old magic media and new magic media. And I'd very squarely put them in the new magic media camp. Uh, you know, with a really nice YouTube presence, just really high quality production. And it was good to kind of reach out to some new folks who maybe haven't heard us before. Maybe they're listening for the first time this week. That would be very cool. That would be cool. It, it's weird for me to like try and promote them too, because it's like, well, if, if you live in Europe, I would assume that you would have yep. heard of them certainly before, you know, finding our podcast or whatever, but like also excellent service if you're in Europe. 
yep. uh, for for buying and selling cards. So. Yeah, you've you've almost certainly heard of them. Maybe not familiar with their YouTube page though. And it, yeah. it's high quality. They bring in, you know, uh, maybe they lowered the bar a bit by bringing us in, but they bring in some of the top names in Magic. Uh, a lot of a lot of European folks swing by the studios and they record it live. So should definitely check them out. Any other shilling? No, I think maybe. I don't know. That's that's enough for now. Enough shilling. Hopefully, y'all indulge us this brief moment of shilling. We try to do it very, 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 very rarely, but we do need dollars like everyone else. So every now and then, we we like to give a friendly reminder. If you'd like to support us, you can do so in these various ways. Yeah, I mean, we could be running ads for Mailchimp or whatever, but we just don't. So instead, we just try to hype up the Patreon every now and then. Yeah, what, what's the other one? Like, uh, we could do Squarespace, or we could do one of those meal kits, yep. right? Yep, exactly. No, nah, we're gonna we're gonna keep doing the occasional few minutes of your time and and roll ad free for as long as humanly possible, unless someone pays us a lot of money. <laughs> Everything's negotiable under capitalism, you know that. It is. It is. Just uh, like the million dollar man, baby. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> so the real reason that we have gathered you all here today is to talk about the new Capanna Championship, but I got to say, I mostly want to ignore Historic, because who cares? Right. And I think we'll talk about Standard, but the regional uh, championship qualifiers have started going up, and I've seen some that were limited, but mm-hmm. definitely a lot that were modern and pioneer. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think about that? I I am just it's, super it's excited to see limited ones. Yeah, it's probably the, correct. The fact that there's any limited ones is sort of mind blowing to me, and that can get me out of the house and attending one of these things for sure. I, I mean, I still dream of like maybe one day there being an actual limited circuit on which to play. Probably a pipe dream, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Arena has done a lot to popularize draft. I think, and if you look at what content is presently doing well in the magic space, a lot of it is limited focus against all better judgment, I think. So uh, the world has changed and maybe it's time to explore more limited play, but I was excited to see any of it appearing as part of this PTQ system. Yeah. The point that I was getting at was that I would like to talk about standard because it's not as irrelevant as historic. And then I was like, well, I can't really use that as a justification if it's also not part of the organized play system, but here we are. Still yeah. going to talk about standard because you're not going to get me to talk about historic. I agree. I mean, maybe I'll I'll touch on the metagame and how some of these cards should have been banned a long time ago. Sure. That's, that's all I want to say. That's fine. But as for the tournament itself, Jan Merkel was the winner. Uh, also winner of Pro Tour Kobe back in 2006. And oddly enough, remember when they used to put like the pro player cards in packs? Mm-hmm. Very short-lived. Uh, people, as it turned out, when they opened a pack, did not want to get a Gabriel Nassif because they were like, what the hell is this? It's funny this comes up. Somebody uh, this weekend at a Flesh and Blood PTQ was like, oh, I have your pro player card that you used to put in Magic Packs. And I'm like, no, you don't, sir. That was not not me, nor was I ever in sniffing range of having one of those cards. Who did they think you were? I don't know. I did not get to the bottom of that. But uh, Were you curious? Like, did you try? Uh, I didn't, I didn't want to make them feel like silly. I, they already did. I could tell when I was like, no, definitely not. So, Man, it, it's funny, too, because I think that if we were around in 2006 and someone said that to you, like that would be like a good burn and also a, a thing that like a thing that people would joke about at that time as a burn. 
Right. It's like, man, Brian, I've opened so many packs and I haven't gotten your card yet. Why is that? <laughs> There's a very good reason for that, actually. But anyway, uh, Jan Merkel had a pro player card and I wouldn't say that he necessarily looks like me, but definitely the pro player card looked a little bit like me. Just okay. like the picture that got shot. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not, but uh, I'm sure I've seen it before, but it's it's been a long time. Yeah. So anyone want to see the the Jerry Doppelganger, go Google a picture of, of that pro card. But at this point, I mean, he's, he's just the real deal. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a hell of a season for, for him. He's really, I don't want to say put his name on the map because he did that, you know, almost 20 years ago, but uh, showing he still got it for sure. Yeah, they, <laughs> on my way to finding the coverage, I stumbled upon an article that was just about him. And he said that, he generally liked playing Magic Online more than the real life events anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that like everything shifting to online was just very comfortable for him. So it's it's kind of cool how that works out. Yeah, I, I think this that's like one of the best case scenarios for the move to digital play is you bring back, you know, an a older player who hasn't been able to participate in like going to events that and like people in geographically isolated regions getting to really make their mark, which unfortunately I don't think that's really come to fruition all that much. Yeah. I mean, not, not under this system where it's incredibly hard to get your foot in the door, but also right. they run the PT time zones at like yeah, 9am Pacific. So for example, Jan finished this tournament at 4am his time. Yeah. That's wild. And I, they I do guess that that's always every been part time. Of, yeah. It's always been part of pro magic is like fighting jet lag, but you but everyone takes even, turns. Right. And you and, don't even leave anymore. You just sit in your house and try and fight jet lag. So that's that's tough. Yeah. Well, the problem is like they do it every time from the same time zone. And it's just like if you live in Japan or, you know, just anywhere in Asia, it's just like you're kind of screwed. Yes. And yet Japan still continually does really well. Yes, they do. Despite that. So also cool to see. Uh, but thing about this tournament that we have to talk about. Never, never just let us have some joy and, and celebration. Never. And it's not possible. I was hearing some stuff about, granted, this is from the players, Magic players. Perhaps you've seen them. Perhaps you've seen them on the Twitterverse. They complain sometimes, right? So you'll see things in relation to this tournament where people are saying it was a joke. It was not run very well, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, are they actually telling the truth or are they over-exaggerating? And I think at least in this case, they were telling the truth. <laughs> so prior to the tournament, Martin Juza makes a tweet about how his game will routinely crash when like a saga triggers, which in a format with Fable of the Mirror Breaker basically being in every deck, probably not great. And so then he would go to Wizards and say, hey, this is a thing that routinely happens to me. And then he would get gaslit by by this corporation saying like, you're the only person it's happening to. We have no reports from anyone else. Like that's just a you problem. You need to figure it out. And then his thread is just full of people that are like, yo, this exact same bug happens to me all the time. I've reported it. They know about it. Mm -hmm. So not cool. Off to an, uh, an inauspicious start. And then one of the things that you pointed out to me was that apparently like all of France just lost connection to arena for a round. Yep. See you, France. Just, just booted. 
an entire region cut off. I think mostly got game losses, uh, yeah, or which, at the very least, like lost time off their clock. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's another thing I want to talk about. There, there are just so many matches that come down to someone getting timed out. Yeah. Which is just not cool. And I feel like if this were four years ago, they would have addressed it by now. But it's just like the 20th most important thing or something. It's not, though. I mean, I mean like, to, to them it is. But it just... Uh, I'm just falling into the same. I'm going to say the same stuff I've said. It's it's just disrespectful. It's it shows they don't value competitors' time. They don't take competitive integrity seriously. They they're just like, what else are you going to do? Are you going to play someone else's Magic Pro Tour? No, shut up and take it. And and we do. We we show up. We take it. And granted, there is a real world where it has nothing to do with Wizards that the entire country of France gets disconnected, right? Like that could be entirely on French infrastructure and yeah, not Wizards' fault at all. But it's like getting disconnected from arena, not from the internet. Yeah. I'm trying, look, I'm I'm trying here. I'm trying to give some benefit of the doubt where it's just like not something that they do wrong. Sure. It's entirely possible. But, Uh, But even in that scenario, you adapt. Like when an entire country is eliminated from competition, you go, okay, we got to figure something out here. And really you have to adapt before the event. You have to have tools in place that allow you to restore game states and unwind the way like, I don't know, any anything that wants to be an esport generally has it. And it's not to say that esports also don't run into these type of things from time to time, but they do a lot more to prevent them. And they also have like contingencies in place. Whereas magic is just like, oopsie. And then they make something up as they go along. Yeah, you submit your decks and then they're like, oh, BT dub, Shatter Skull Smashing is still bugged. Yep. And we're just, we're going to play it as it lies or whatever. Like after you've already made your deck choice, it's like, oh God. I don't mind people losing to time in theory because in real life, you know, you had a 50 minute clock and, you know, sometimes a 55 or 60 minute clock at Pro Tours and having the extra time was cool. But you know, people did go to time. They did did get draws that did eliminate them from competition. I think that there should be a punishment for potentially holding up the tournament and everything. And there should be some expectation that you're able to finish your match in time. And it can be frustrating because it's not necessarily all on you. You know, a lot of the time it can just be like your opponent milking the clock, either intentionally or unintentionally. But specifically for top eights, it just happens so much where it's just like, well, now coverage is talking about how person is just like mashing space bar because they're running out of time. And it's just a bad look. And it's really bad from the competitive aspect too. It is. I, I think it goes further than a bad look. I think it's a joke. I think it shows you shouldn't take this all that seriously because they don't. And it's something that's so easily addressable, but they say, well, too bad. We, we had, we got to keep this moving along. Let's go 30 minutes per round. And the other thing that's really frustrating is like continually the problem of the clock was brought on by other flaws in arena, be it slow animations or just being disconnected or the game freezing when you play a saga just over and over and over these very, very stupid things, forcing players to have to fight the clock as well as opponents. It's, it's just not a 
robust or ready competitive ecosystem and they should honestly shelve this shit until they get it figured out. Yeah. I mean, it's also some amount of gatekeeping too for the highest level where it's like your internet connection has to be like X amount of good or like your computer has to be Your computer. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Arena is a resource hog. It absolutely tears up crappy computers. So you have an old laptop. It tears up good computers. It does. I mean, if if y'all have been a consistent listener of the podcast, you know my quest to find a laptop that can play Arena that won't light my legs on fire. Yeah. You also know that the only thing that causes processor whine for my computer is Arena. I've never seen that happen. Uh, tabletop Simulator sometimes is the other thing that I've found. Okay. Uh, so two two programs ever have caused processor whine for me. Well, I'll just don't play board games. Problem solved. Yeah, that's not going to happen. I play, <laughs> I play a lot of tabletop simulator. So the time thing, maybe not a big deal. I understand their their new top eight structure. And I think I like their structure from a competitive standpoint. But it doesn't have like the same punch as it did before where it's like, all right, well, you know, now you're in the, the winner's bracket. Now you're in the loser's bracket. In the finals, you play best three of five matches. It just seems like there are so many games played that the games matter less. Mm-hmm. And now that there are more games being played in top eight, it also means that they're incentivized to keep the timers on because I know, I know that it still lasted like eight hours or nine hours to finish the top eight. Uh, I, just, I just covered a Pro Tour top eight with best of ones, and it was cash money. High stakes <laughs> games. <laughs> Just like had to figure it out. It was it was intense. Every single game mattered. Uh, we showed every game over the course of I yeah. Think that's like, cool. That's a great idea. Yeah, I think and it was probably like six hours total to cover them all, and it was it was awesome. It doesn't work for Magic. I'm not saying play best of one for Magic, but I I do think fewer games means higher stakes per game for sure. Yeah, I mean I, I think playing best of five like two pre three post was pretty solid and it in, gave, in the pure top eight structure where right. like there wasn't the winners losers bracket. I agree. With yeah. You. Yeah. Once, once you get to that, it's like, okay, we need to cut down the amount of games, right? Like that does make sense. And then yep. at that point you are kind of incentivized to keep the clock too, but it's just like, well, maybe keeping the clock or keeping the clock as low as it is for top eights is not ideal. And therefore you need to look at a different structure. Yeah, I agree. Cause uh, you know, you want to talk about, having more matches, more potential losses to give makes for a better determiner of the, the true winner in the top eight or whatever. I buy into that, but it doesn't, if like, you know, a 10th like of clock the is actually, the time. yeah, the clock's the one actually determining it. That's it's problematic for sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that there, there are like other things that could like, you know, be eating into their time, like the various bugs or whatever. One of the things that has come up to from some of the competitors is like they are short on time and they are being pinged on discord by tournament admins, like asking for updates on the match. Yeah. And so then you also need to be like playing your match while having discord open and responding to those people when it's like, I am timing out. Why are you messaging me? But then like, if you just ignore the person, then you get some sort of penalty. Not great. Not a great approach. Yeah, it's it's just like this. It doesn't work. It, it has to be more carefully constructed, better thought out. Otherwise, this is never going to work. And it, it just isn't at this point. And with the France DCing from Marina thing, you pointed me towards a Nassif tweet. And 
he mentioned that like, okay, I guess all of France got DC'd and we timed out because of it, but I guess maybe they're awarding us match wins. And he's like, wait, nope, match losses. They changed their mind. And it's just like, that's not great either. No, because there's no plan in place. It's completely made up on the fly. And this is, this really bit them in the ass when it came to another situation in the tournament where there was no plan. And, uh, you know, the rug was pulled out from under people, basically. Which one is this? This is the fact that there was world slots at stake. And, uh, you know, when you're playing for worlds, you expect everyone's sort of competing on the same axis. But two players in the midst of the world race were given wins in a match against each other because they didn't know how to sort it out. And And in the context of this one tournament... I can totally agree with the decision to give both of these players wins because neither deserve to lose the match because they messed up the first part of, of the implementation right. of the match. But this is also bugs. this is also the worst tournament to do it because it's it's deciding the final world slots. Correct. And that's, you know, it ignores the fact that a million things happened before this point to determine those world slots, probably also influenced by these type of bugs, these type of decisions. But still, it, it, that's no excuse for it. And essentially, these two players who were given wins were in the midst of the world race and PV misses by a very narrow margin. And now the best player in the history of magic is like, well, I think I'm done with professional magic because this is a joke and I'm not cued here. And I, man, it's like, how many mistakes can you make over and over? Yeah, it's not great. Well, there's one more. Oh, okay, one more mistake. <laughs> Excellent. So, our friend David Inglis, aka Tangrams, the top eight of this tournament. Yeah, absolutely crushed the Swiss. Incredible achievement, incredible season. Gets a world's qualification. Like just, you know, if if Magic, competitive Magic is in a better state, he's the story right now. He's building this resume and just coming out where you know people knew him as a very good player. Now he's established himself as one of the great players. Yeah, and. Obviously, everyone is very good, but it's it's also something to watch someone who is hyper-tuned in and just maybe not like at the peak of their powers or whatever, but like definitely at the high point of their career. Yeah. There were just so many moments watching him play like his Just Guy deck in standard where it was like, damn, you know. Definitely a person to watch. Definitely very, very good at magic. Definitely making a lot of good decisions, re-deck selection and deck building yes. and everything. Yep. Gets his world slot. Gets PT top eight, cool, cool, cool. Plays his PT top eight match against Jan Merkel, eventual winner of the tournament, is in a situation where he's low on time. And Jan, so the situation is Jan has a card. Fable is going off on chapter two, and Tangrams is at four. And I don't know like what graveyards are or whatever, but it's just like obviously a thing like a Magma Opus would kill him outright. Mm-hmm. but Tangrams has Leer in play with two mana and just like absolutely stocked graveyard. And if he gets to untap is then going to be able to like fading hope his own Leer and have a bunch of counter spells. If the situation ever comes up where Jan can cast a magma opus even. Yeah. So I think like this is just a one turn window for Jan to draw the thing to kill him. And since Fable's going off, it just meant that Tangrams is program locked up. And, you know, the thing that Martin said, hey, was an issue and Wizards told him, nope, you're making it up. Yeah. Caused David to, like, 
get disconnected, basically. Had to re-log in, lost a bunch of time, and lost on time as a result in a a match that he thought he was going to win. You know, throughout, like, the first 25 years of competitive magic, there were those moments that were like, oh, this unbelievable thing happened and cost this player shot at winning a Pro Tour. And they're still talked about to this day. Now they happen five times a tournament, and you almost, like, don't even bat an eye at them yeah because it's they're just they're just factored into oh these super unlucky super incredible things are the way the program works and we're supposed to just just accept it i mean i think there's a good argument to be made that the state of arena as far as competitive integrity right now is worse than magic online was when they shut it down and that's saying a lot because because magic online was kind of like lambasted all the time over the years for various bugs and right. You know, people, whenever someone would show up with like, well, this is how this interaction works because that's how it works on magic online. It's like, you would just get laughed at because most of the time it was correct, but there are also just instances where where it's like, Nope, that has been broken for two years or whatever. And it hasn't gotten fixed. And arena is somehow worse in a lot of regards. Yeah, it, it really is just in terms of like, the frequency of these game-breaking bugs and how often... I mean, maybe it's just that they're, it's being done at the highest level, right? So we pay more attention to it, whereas Pro Tours were not on Magic Online. True. So, but there's a reason Pro Tours weren't on Magic Online, and that's because it wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I mean, to, to be fair, the, the pandemic made it so everything had to shift online, but I also think that, yeah, it, it should have been ready for it because they knew that they were going to have a bunch of tournaments on Arena when they launched it. Yeah. Yeah, if like this was an emergency plan where they didn't intend to do this, like this ignores that the this argument ignores the MPL existed before anything happened with the pandemic, right? right. So like yeah. their plan was to do high stakes arena tournaments and the program has never been ready for it. It only gets worse and they show no signs of even like yep, we got a problem here and we should fix it. They're just like, "Uh, ah, what can you do? Must be a you problem, not us." Uh, arena stinks. Yeah. There are the, you know, regional championship qualifier things getting posted. People are going to start playing magic in real life for better or for worse. And maybe we won't have to deal with this anymore. Uh, at, at least for not every single tournament, right? I'm sure that there will be some things on arena or magic online or whatever, but right. I mean, they, they still intend to have arena championships for each set and like they aren't, I don't know. They're they're like branching arena pro play from typical pro play to some extent, but I believe the intention is that arena still awards world slots, which can matter to paper play. So like it's all these ripples are going to matter throughout even the paper system, even when you try and isolate this. So you got to fix it. You can't just let things continue in the state. But there's nothing even on a roadmap. Like I remember at the beginning of Arena, it was like roadmaps and this is going to happen here and we're working on this and here's some communication. Now it's just like, give us your money and shut up. Yeah. At least its importance is being downsized though. That's true. So Glass half full. That's a good way to look at it. Saving grace in the absolute smallest sense. (laughs) Agreed. Anyway, standard itself. Or do you want to talk about historic first? Now, I I just wonder how long you keep letting Cat Oven be a part of Historic, and I wonder how much anyone cares about Historic anymore. It feels like these, I mean, Historic nowhere near as bad as Alchemy. 
I would pull the plug on them. I, I don't think these formats are working. You got to find something else. And I guess you can't. Like I said, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You're priced in. I don't know how you get away from these formats. But as far as I can tell, people don't care. Well, the next PTQ season on Arena is Explorer, which is still a fake format, but it's closer to being Getting real. closer. Yes, getting closer. Again, glass half full. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Yeah, historic metagame. The number one deck is a Phoenix, 31%. Number two deck, Golgari Food, 18%. I love Phoenix. I default to it. At least when, you know, you have like Looting and Dragon's Rage Channeler and just like all these really powerful cards for the archetype. Yeah. I would not Pretty be bad results. I would not be playing Phoenix right now. Yeah. The food matchup is so abysmal. People go to such lengths as to splash like Hidetsugo consumes all mm-hmm. and still doesn't even solve the problem. And the food matchup is bad. It's gotten a little bit better, but it's still really bad. And there's just not a whole lot you can do. And I think food did really well. I know the best decks were the Selesnia decks. So Selesnia humans, mm, yeah. Enchantress, they both did extremely well. Food, I'm pretty sure, also did okay. Uh, but I think there's a good argument to make that like, if you had just played food in Historics and said it has been legal, you've probably never been wrong. <laughs> it's, it's just hard to be wrong and under those constraints. I mean, maybe brainstorm. Maybe that was the period you were wrong. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. But uh, the the new versions like Luris, why is that still legal? Uh, super super low to the ground. Now you have Meat Hook Massacre to trail of crumbs into, which just kind of like solves all your problems and you're super hard to interact with. You have Ravenous Squirrel for maybe. A, a quick combo-ish kill too is just like yeah. Hey, don't forget my squirrely boy. Yeah, deck deck kind of has it all, and I've been I've been known to cat oven, you know. Same, but it's also really miserable, and yep. I would prefer to skip it if possible. But even now, it's just like I, I don't know why you'd play anything else. Yeah, I I think it was miserable in paper. Like it was one of the last paper decks I played before everything got wrapped up and it was pretty miserable there in the standard context. I think it's worse on arena, which is saying a lot. Yeah. So Cho brought up the fact that Explorer was the next PTQ season. He's like, what should I learn? And I was like, well, based on the cards that you have, we can kind of like port the, the Rakdos standard deck that you made to finish dailies into Explorer and see if you like that. And like he, he did it. And he went through the motions and played a bunch of games with it and was surprisingly good with it for not having really been involved in, in that standard format or like anytime cat oven has been legal. And it's, it's always like these like minute details too, right? Where it's like, yeah. okay, well I play this and then this and then sack this and then this and then this, and you know, and then it's like, and then they're dead in three turns. And he was like going through it pretty well. And was still just like, this is awful. <laughs> yep, it sure is. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you, you're you're not wrong. But also you look at the decks that are legal and thriving in Explorer and it's all, it's not as bad as Cat Oven, but it's just like, eh, none of this seems like super fun to play. Yeah, I imagine uh, we'll end up doing a show on that, given that that will be the next Arena PTQ season. Yeah, we will. Point. We will. And we can, we can, we can figure it out. We can make it better. That'll be our goal. We'll make it a tolerable format. I know that we, they posted the win rates on stream. I'm trying to find where it would be in an article. Uh, I saw somebody make one of those squares, you know, those, those squares that we got really into during the pandemic with the, the matchups. Love the squares. Yeah. I, I saw one of those somewhere. I don't know if I can 
turn it up in short order for you, but I will try. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> That's the spirit. That's what I like to hear. If you find it cool, then we can talk about it. If not, I'm fine just ignoring it. But you you are correct. I do remember both the Selesnya decks having like 60% win rates, but like small amount of pilots, certainly compared to like, is it Phoenix and whatnot? Mm-hmm. But humans did look good. And after after watching it play out, I'd be interested in at least trying that. Like that would definitely be in the gauntlet for me to try and figure out like what to play. Yep, that seems reasonable. But if I hated myself, then I would play food. If I hate myself and and everyone else. Yes, I want to ruin it for just absolutely everyone. That's definitely the right choice. Anyway, standard metagame breakdown. Going in, everyone kind of knew that Esper Midrange was like the default place to start. Solid deck beforehand. Got a bunch of upgrades. I think people were still figuring out how to like tweak and tune the deck. I was among them. I ended up making a Twitter post on it at some point where I was like, well, maybe people are interested in standard. And also maybe this gets to people before they submit their decks to the PT. But uh, I looked at most of the decks and it didn't seem like anyone listened to me like at all. So that's, that's fine. But the deck is interesting as far as how do you configure it to beat the other things that exist in standard and there was also just a lot of tension in the deck where it's like, you know, you have like Wandering Emperor and Rafine and Vanishing Verse. And it's like, how do you figure out how to cast those things in a timely manner? And also you have no real comeback mechanisms. Like what happens when you miss your fourth land drop? And how do you go about either like mitigating that or, you know, playing more comeback mechanisms or something? Like Meat Hook Massacre is the, the one big one, but... I also ran into issues with that, whereas against like mono white aggro, for example, it, they would just be able to outscale it with aspirant and high toughness stuff. And the same thing was mostly true in the mirrors too. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I think the card decisions in this format are very much shaped by meat hook massacre, right? Yeah. I, so much so too, that Esper decks normally had like two meat hooks. A lot of the Jun decks just had like two meat hooks. It just, like, if you're black, it just shows up in your deck. Yep. And not necessarily as an answer to a specific thing, but just that it's a generally good card. And sometimes you need a reset button and sometimes it just ends up effectively trading with like your opponent's meat hook where, you know, now you're kind of getting like the same triggers from it. So you just stay even Mm -hmm. and maybe that's what you need sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So building Esper was interesting. I, I think that I like some of the things that I saw from some of the Esper lists, but I, from watching coverage too, it was like definitely people ran into situations where they're playing too much, too many vanishing verses and that didn't line up against stuff. They weren't playing enough lands. Luminarch Aspirant is fine and a lightning rod to get off of Rafine, but I was playing Spirited Companion just to ensure that I would hit all my land drops, you know, and yep. like a lot of the creatures were just like very replaceable or died to things got swept up in things you know so just like i kind of just want the visionary for the cantrip and i firmly stood behind the visionary being good but i didn't know if it should be like instead of aspirant or in in place of but everyone's still just like nah for aspirant you know play 25 land or whatever and where i was playing like 27 and cantrips you know so i don't know i saw people get punished for it which was like kind of cool, I suppose, because I'm pretty sure that those are just things that you don't have to deal with if you build your deck better. 
Yeah, a lot of the lists I'm seeing uh, 27 lens for like the Esper list in the, the top eight. I know, I know that a lot of them did, but there were definitely like ones in the tournament that even went down to like 24 land. Yeah, don't love that. So, more little lands, more wins. That's how it works. Yeah, a little awkward. Yeah, like Zacchini in top eight was, it seemed like he, based on coverage, was like the driving force of like his his team's Esper deck. And I, I think that that deck is solid. And the, the thing that he recognizes is that like this is just an aggro control deck or like a tempo deck, basically. Mm-hmm. And I came to the same conclusion. It was just like, yeah, you need to make all your land drops and I don't want to try and kill everything. I don't want to board in like sweepers, you know, board in farewells and become this hard control deck because like with Rafine in the mix... I mean, we we just gotta get our beatdowns on. Yeah, nothing wrong with the beatdowns, uh, and I I think like beatdowns backed up with blue counter magic just continues to be a very strong plan, and the beatdowns are coming in a way that like the package is very small, so you get a lot of versatility in what your deck is capable of adapting to. Yeah, uh, the like, other thing what it all leads to though is like these huge slogs, right? Where you're just like planeswalker into yeah. this, into that, and it's just like the games drag on and on and on. So uh, I I am not surprised that the most successful decks in the tournament are the ones that were just like, I'm not doing this. I'm I'm done with it. I'm just going to burn you out from a large life total. Yeah. And that was kind of my experience after working on Esper a bunch and then playing a lot of the decks from the Pro Tour and just messing around on ladder was just like, I don't want to get involved in these slogs where it's just like everyone has like Fable and Meat Hook Massacre and Wedding Announcement and Rafine and stuff. It's like you have answers to those cards, but they're all like pretty specific and need to line up in a certain way. And mm-hmm. often card negative. So like, yeah, it just continues things forward. Yeah. So you're better off just like trying to snowball or go over the top, which is what Tangrams was doing with the Jeskai Storm deck. Yeah, I want to talk about Tangram's deck. The, the, the first thing that stands out to me that I love is that we're up to four big scores, two unexpected windfalls. So this card that many people thought were un- was unplayable, we now want six copies of, <laughs> which I agree entirely. It is that good for sure, uh, especially on the back of Galvanic Iteration. I think this deck has gotten to a point where it's just like really well-tuned, really consistent at what it wants to do i love things like the one of march of swirling mist i think that's very cool uh using voltage surge is like the de facto removal spell also makes sense to me just because it it kills what you need to kill and that's really what's most important here so and then you have fable the fable token making treasures too so you can use that to help clear the way yep yeah you find ways to do it you're not like built around it but you have your gold span dragons and your fable and you will you will get things to sacrifice. And in the late game where like those big scores and the uh, unexpected windfalls are making kind of bunk treasure tokens, again, it's an, it's another out for them. Yeah. The, the thing is though, is when I was working on Esper and playing in just the, the dumpster of mythic, I was still very cognizant that these Jeskai decks were going to be a threat, like maybe not super popular, but, you're going to have to be able to deal with Lear setups, possibly Hullbreaker Horror, but like definitely Goldspan Dragon sometimes in the same deck. And yep. instead of going with like pierces and negates and stuff, it was like, no, nah, actually like Disdainful Stroke is the best thing because the small cards don't impact you all that much. And it's generally like the four mana and above ones where if you snag a big score or stop them from ever getting traction with a creature. Like that is kind of like how you solidify your position, but it's like trying to back up Rafine with negate. It's like, well, they can just kind of ignore that. 
Yep. Yeah, you got to cut off the snowball. So if you're looking to like move Esper in a direction where it's better suited to play against these things, D stroke, D stroke. I agree, and that's been such an interesting decision for like the last, I don't know, three years of standard. Like, which of these two mana counter spells are you supposed to play? And I, I like that we have both options, but like the game is getting a little old at this point, and I, I want something new to. It's not like I don't always want to just make the negate disdainful stroke decision. Like, give me new options. And I guess, like, Test of Talents interjects from time to time, but Spell Pierce we're starting to see a little bit more of. So there's some give to it, but it still feels like it's always negate or destroke, and that's what it ultimately comes down to. The funny thing is, is that the vast majority of the time, I've defaulted to destroke. Same. Not out of habit or anything, but because the control decks were always like, and I have this really big win condition that you need to stop. Yeah. I, I guess, like, there's a moment where actually Malevolent Hermit became the thing that I moved towards instead, uh, which is a card that's mostly gone at this point. But that makes sense, given that the format is not about like giant spell or wasn't until we got to this event and it was won by giant spells. But uh, it's not always like, I don't don't know. I'm not necessarily advocating for a return to Malevolent Hermit. You just understand why it's had its fade in and out as the metagame has evolved. Yeah. I like the positioning of Jeskai Storm, not... The deck that I would play if if I had my first choice, I guess, you know, like just the, the play patterns of it are not something that I would be comfortable doing, especially like on arena in in a, like a small amount of time. But uh, Tangram's crushed it and went through the combo like very quickly. And yep. it was very impressive to see because he was put in so many spots where he had to make really close judgment calls and it it didn't seem like he had to think about them very much at all it was just like he he knew his deck he knew what gave him the best Mm -hmm. odds to actually get there and everything and just like went through it really quickly that sort of expertise is always awesome to see yep that's that's mastery manifesting right like that's you have done your reps and you just know inside and out yeah so pretty similar to the the mutate decks too. And like their, their team was a big proponent of, of those decks. And they were usually like part of the handful of people that was playing them and also, you know, winning 60, 65% of their matches with them or whatever. And just like no one else was. And yeah, you just, you put in the reps with the thing like that, you just get rewarded. So I think that that is also cool to see in this day and age. For sure. Like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, their deck selection has been on point. That's that's what I needed. I needed someone to be like, put down your crappy deck, play this thing that is actually good, learn how to play it, you know? I think that that is the thing that will carry you the furthest. Like, obviously, you need to then know how to play Jeskai Storm to win your match at 10-1 and 1 when you run into those hard situations or whatever. But I think that is the thing that is going to give you the best chance to succeed in any tournament. Oh, yeah. The, the right deck will get you a large portion of the way there. I can look at every time I've ever done well in a tournament ever. Uh, it's just been because I had the right deck for the most part. So, so Jeskai was actually the third most played deck at with with thirty pilots, whereas Esper had seventy seven. So it's still a pretty sizable chunk of the field, but it's really not that many people total because the field itself was kind of small. Yeah, do we know if there is differentiation between Storm and Hinata? Storm and Hinata, yeah. I okay, believe, it, look, it I looks like so. there is. I believe it so. looks like there was three players on Jeskai Hinata, one of whom 
won the tournament. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about Tangram's deck. It's probably time to talk about the champs deck. Yeah. I I pegged Hinata as like a, a very good card very early on in its reign, and then it just fell off the face of the earth. And I don't know that I ever quite understood why. It seems to be opposite enough to what everyone is doing that you should always be able to find a window to make this type of game plan work. And again, just like linearly powerful, slap a fable of the mirror breaker in there and do your thing and have this end game that goes over the top of this small ball planeswalker stuff that everyone else is trying to do. Yeah. Fable is like, I don't know, add Tarmogoyf to my counterbalance deck now. Yeah. And instead of being a full control deck that is very vulnerable to a lot of stuff, now you have this card that just sort of sidesteps all of it. And it has it is it's manifested exactly the way I was afraid these sagas would manifest. It's yeah. just too many it's too many cards. It's too much value in one card. Yep. You know it's a problem when like everyone is playing it basically. Yep. But then it's also a problem when it's like oh these you know five drop reliant combo control decks get to lean on it and it gives them a huge leg up against all the cards that targeted them normally. Yeah. It's like, Ooh, that, that is the scary stuff, right? So yeah, you get this thing that is a threat and both Jeskai Storm and Hinata are very happy accumulating treasures, right? And then you get to like filter through potential dead draw steps, which was also kind mm -hmm. of a problem in, in blue red, especially in game ones where, you know, you just had to find like the right mix of removal or like, sift away some of the excess top end that you drew and like filter out your draws, make sure that everything ran pretty smooth. And then you also just say like have the back end that does some real stuff. So it Three is Three mana for two meaningful creatures and a faithless looting is not bad. Yeah. You can live with that. Yeah. I mean, people like season pyromancer myself included. And I think that this is a, a fine allegory to that because it does a lot of the similar stuff and arguably is more threatening. I, I agree with you. I think ultimately it may prove to be the better card, which is wild. I mean, you know, we're talking about a Modern Horizons card versus this card and a card that I quite frankly didn't really have on my radar going into this season. I was concerned about this particular implementation of Sagas. I was not concerned about this particular card, but it, it just makes too much. That's what it comes down to. I don't know. It's always funny when both Fable and Emperor kind of got us the same way where it's just like, uh, this doesn't seem that good. And then as we talk about it on the podcast, it's like, well, this aspect seems really good. And this aspect seems really good. And this aspect seems really good. And then it's just like, eh, whatever. It'll probably be fine. <laughs> then we don't update any of our lists and just like, yeah, we'll leave it off. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem with Fable is like, I don't see where this really fits in. You know, like what sort of deck wants this? And it's just everywhere. Like, it yeah, turns out. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. All of them. Like that is how good it is. And that's a good solution. Yeah. There's a few times we've made that mistake, that exact mistake too, where we're like, oh, this doesn't have a home. If a card's good enough, it makes itself a home. I know. It makes we, itself every home. We just need to, and I've told myself this before, is like, we just need to ignore that. Ignore yeah. thinking about like how things slot into the existing metagame because things inevitably change, especially with a lot of new cards getting injected into the format. And like, if a card is powerful enough, it will make a home. We did the same thing with Epiphany, where it was like HM or like 10th or something, where it was like, I don't know what deck this goes into. Well, again, it builds a new deck, but it also goes into the ones that exist. And it kind of like looks weird, but it's just like, it's good enough that you just do it. Yep. And that's that. I think that's another characteristic of these cards. They look weird. They do unorthodox things. Yeah, hard to evaluate for sure. Take a little time to unpack. So that's why, you know, the top 10 system is always going to be flawed. I don't expect us to get it right. But 
I do always want us to be getting better at it. And sometimes I feel like we are. Other times I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah, it's like you get closer, but then you don't have like Fable or Emperor in your top 10. It's like, well, yeah. is this even closer? You know, it's a good question. Uh, probably not. Probably not. But yeah, Fable is everywhere. Great card. I, <laughs> it is frustrating to play against. And I think that's the thing. That's kind of the key where even if we put it in decks and played with it, it'd be like, yeah, this is nice. It's smoothing out my draws. You know, it's like eating a removal spell or two, definitely getting my money's worth. And then you play against it and you're just like, what am I supposed to do? Like my opponent's yeah. just going to bury me, right? It's like that no feeling of dread that you only get from playing against the card. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing is true with Emperor when you're trying to attack your opponent and they just like pass with four mana. Yep. Yeah, it puts you in no-win scenarios. That's what it really comes down to. Anything yeah. that can routinely put you in a no-win scenario has to be in consideration for like the best cards in the set. Yeah, I mean, Chariot's similar, Goldspan Dragon similar. Mm -hmm. And, oh, imagine that. They're all the best cards. Yeah. So, Jeskai decks are cool. If I were playing standard, I would just try and sidestep all the nonsense and do that. Where, yeah, you interact a little bit early, but you recognize that you can't deal with everything, and then just at some point you go over the top. I agree. That would be my approach. And anything to say about these like sort of sideways versions, of, like there's the Jund lit lists that are here. Uh, Grixis Vampires is here. What do you think about these decks? Uh, I guess even like a Nihilist top aided. Yeah. They all are kind of doing the same thing. It's all just like a bunch of Fable of the Mirror Breakers and, you know, throw your permanents out there and figure it out after that. Is there one that stands out to you as, as more impressive than the others? The Naya player that made top eight is awesome. Uh, Hisamichi Yoshigo, uh, Japanese player, basically joined a qualifier not really knowing what it was, like not knowing what it was qualifying him for. Nice. Just because like he just got into Magic a couple years ago and was just playing in the things that they put up, you know? So qualifies for the pro tour is doing pretty well brings his own deck this like really cool looking naya deck and they're interviewing him and it's just like you know how how are you enjoying the tournament and he told them that like he didn't even know what this was but like he was having a lot of fun because he just like yeah my my opponents are pretty tough you know like they're they're, they're giving me <laughs> tough games and he's like i i like it and it's just, <laughs> it's just like so wholesome to see that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, and again, like you want to talk about good things that Arena has done. That's one of them, right? Just like introduces a new player who has obviously this potential to be very, very good and just wouldn't have found the game any other way. That's always what I'll never take that away from Arena. It's introduced a lot of new people to magic, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Yeah. So top eights qualifies for worlds. Dope. Not bad. But yeah, Naya deck is pretty good because I think uh, a lot of folks were like, all right, do you play Wedding Announcement or Fable? And uh, Hisamichi was just like both. Yeah. And, and then, how about a, a Seekers Chariot thrown into the mix as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you just get to play all the good stuff. Gala Greeters didn't show up a ton and has, has been a card that I've been like trying to shoehorn into decks. And I think it, it works particularly well with Wedding Announcement. But then the problem is like, you're green white now and like what are you doing with your third color and i think that this is a good solution to that problem and i think i think that gala greeters is actually pretty solid not not like in the oh i'm gonna cut prosperous innkeeper for it or whatever because they 
even though they have a lot of the same words on them, they don't do the same thing. Yeah, very different things. So for sure. you, you have to find your own home for it. Uh, and then there are the Jundex, uh, like Shota Top Aided with and Shota Top Aiding with a Jund Midrange deck. What the hell? What year is it? Yeah, not expecting that. Jenny Fay, a large part of the strategy with Black Market Tycoon. So a, a lot of cool stuff going on here. And just ramping these huge threats, be it uh, Zayatora, the Incinerator, Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter. Again, sort of trying to go over the top of decks, but also playing that more mid-range-ish game where it just very, very good at using Fable of the Mirror Breaker and, and getting nice value out of it. So, Yeah, and the interesting thing to note specifically with Jund is the existence of Riveteer's Charm, where... Mm-hmm. When I was working on Esper, I wanted like a Soul Shatter type of effect because Rafine existed and Goldspan Dragon and Big Planeswalkers, uh, things like Lolf, where it's just like a removal card like that is very good right now. And I was still operating from, you know, the, the Esper lens of things, right? It was like, this is like the best thing that we have. And I was high on Riveteer's Charm during preview season. But again, it was one of those things where it's like, where does it fit? Blah, blah, blah. And shows it's just like, I, I build my own deck and I just put it somewhere, you know? Yeah. Good strategy. If you're Shota and uh, you know, it, it's hard for me to, there, there's two ways I want to go about it, right? I either want to go over the top of everything or I want to sort of grind them to dust and I probably need blue spells to do that. So this is just sort of playing the middle of the road game. Although maybe that's not true when you have a top end of, Tybalt and uh, Zayator, and you're just particularly good at answering these problem cards. So maybe this is uh, a deck with more closing power than I'm giving it credit for. It, it is definitely pretty powerful and scales pretty well, assuming that your opponent I- isn't interacting too hard. Like if they have plenty of sweepers in their deck, well, you know, then then maybe you're going to run out of gas at some point. But yep. if they are just trying to like pinpoint removal, take you down you have enough ways to combat that. And then where do you fall on this Grixis vampires list? This is kind of the last list we have to talk about Uh, again. Like I'm, I'm interested in the, just do the fable stuff, back it up with counter magic. I think there's probably better ways to do this. Like you're, you're doing a lot of the same things as the Jeskai decks, but you're losing that top end. Dude, how, how, how dare you? Sorry. <laughs> this is I'm sorry to bring you back down to earth. This is the deck that I was attracted to the most because uh talking about how to try and configure your removal suite where it's like I kind of want a soul shatter. Vanishing Verse doesn't have great targets. Like, yes, you can use it to kill a fable, but that doesn't really solve the entire problem. And then there are things like Rafine where it just doesn't do anything. So I was like, how, how do I like, what is my best removal suite? Like, how do I answer all this stuff? And the answer is you find the thing that no one else can kill. And I think for this tournament, it was mostly Evelyn, the covetous. And, okay. and I think that, she, that Evelyn did a really good job of that, but also it's, it's funny where if everyone moves to disdainful stroke, maybe Evelyn gets a little bit worse, but this deck also doesn't have many D stroke targets, period. That's fair. That's fair. So sort of, juke the metagame and and stay below that threshold. Yeah, so I think for mid-range matchups, Evelyn is sort of like a mirror breaker in that if you are able to maintain 
not like full parity or anything. Like certainly, you know, they're going to be up some cards. You're going to be up some cards. You're going to keep trading back and forth, but then you have the end game that just sticks through all of their stuff and also gives you a bunch of extra cards. And you also have more vampires to just repeatedly trigger Evelyn. Then I think you're going to come ahead, come out ahead in a lot of those instances. And I, I guess I will say that having, if you believe D stroke is like the way forward, having your threat be a flash threat is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, kind of. D-Stroke is just so cheap that it doesn't really matter. I think the the selling point for that would be that you have nothing else really that you can D-Stroke in the deck. So them bringing in is still not that realistic against you. Mm-hmm. It's it's more likely that there are going to be more Riveteer's Charms or Soul Shatter type of things or just Infernal Grasp, you know, just more things right. to kill Evelyn. But the reality is the deck is like clunky and awkward. <laughs> And for like a lot of a lot of reasons, a lot of different ways. It's like you have to play some of these vampires, which are fine. Like Blood Tithe Harvester is certainly playable on its own. Uh Corpse Appraiser mostly uh cooperates with you, but certainly not always. You know, like what if you play against Jeskai or whatever? Like you, you hope that you draw one of your creatures and it gets killed. And if not, well, yeah, you, you're kind of having a bad time. And then you have the same issue with your removal suite and you're hoping that everything lines up, but you're still drawing pretty slim to the go big Jeskai deck. So, you know, you see like a duress main and a spell pierce and just like a little bit of interaction to both save on sideboard slots and to give you some amount of game in game one against them, but it's still just like not enough. So I really like the look of these decks and then just in practice, it, it didn't really pan out that way. There were just too many issues. I'm sorry you did not get to live your Grixis dreams. Had I been present when you were thinking about playing it, I would have just stepped in because friends don't let friends play Grixis piles, but uh So this is this I, is a I was not there. This is a more cohesive Grixis pile. But even when you make the more cohesive Grixis pile, what is the end result? What did you end up with? It it felt like it was close, honestly. Okay. Well that's better than they usually Yeah, so, I'll, certainly I'll better that. than when we we're playing like Nickel Bolus the Ravager yes. or whatever, right? Yes, those were those were dark days for all of us. Like, honestly, the, the cards, one for one, a lot of them compare very favorably to Esper, both in, like, how they line up and their their overall, like, efficacy and utility. The problem is, is, like, then you have, like, Bloodthirsty Adversary in your deck, which is not very playable. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah, you still have, you still have blue and black cards, and those were usually the majority of your, your sideboard cards, just, like, Duresses and Raven Feeblements and Counterspells and stuff like that, so... Yeah, it's it's weird. All of these decks are just around like this axis of are you a fable of the mirror breaker plus Kaido deck? Are you a wandering empire emperor plus Kaido deck? Are you a fable plus goldspan dragon? It's just like these really really powerful pairs, and you find every possible configuration to mix them up in. But it's always about these cards. Like this this format is just about these incredible planeswalkers, goldspan dragon. Fable of the Marrow Breaker, Meadook Massacre. And there's no like, there's no linear aggro to be seen. It's kind of wild. And there's no even hard control to be seen. It's just, it's just such a float to the middle right now. Yeah. I mean, we got to a point in eight set standard where they printed a lot of shocks and things yeah. like Raven Feeblement being main deckable now because of the existence of Rafine. So even if, you know, you thought Mono White was maybe well positioned, it's like, well, they're still going to have like a, 
ton of one mana removal against yeah, you. Yeah, a lot of splash damage coming through. So, yeah, there's Voltage Surge. There's Flame Bless Bolt, which people are playing for. The Underdog. You have Spike Field Hazard as, as part of the mana base. And then the occasional sweeper out of the sideboard. Every mid-range deck has a couple of Meat Hook Massacres and just, like, pretty big threats and a lot of removal. It's just, like, it's pretty hostile towards aggro. And I think that that's just another reason why I would be playing Jeskai stuff and try mm. and learn it. So either something along the lines of Tangram's deck, if I felt like I could achieve Galaxy Brain level. If not, I feel like Jan's deck is is good, but certainly is the easier one to learn, I think. And it, there's there's value in that. Maybe it's not better, but could be better if you don't have time to put in and get the reps. Yeah, I, I agree. It's what I would be playing. Uh, I, I also really like the addition of March of the Swirling of Swirling Mist. I think that card is quite good. Uh, I, I like it with like, Hinata. I don't... Yeah, backed up with Hinata for sure. I don't necessarily like it in Tangram's deck. Uh, how many copies of Tangram's have? Just one. Okay. And, I, I'm okay with it. Just like, you you will steal games with it. There's another in the sideboard. Yeah, another on the board. I mean, I did, I did see him get into spots where... No, maybe you do actually need it. Because if you have to combo in second main phase, like you have to attack, get the treasure and then go through stuff like play some expressive iterations or whatever. Then you end up in a situation where, yeah, I could probably draw my deck and like put all the dragons into play or whatever. And then the March is the card that like fogs them. So maybe, maybe it is necessary, but I I don't like it as like a value card, but I guess that's not really what he's playing it for anyway. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I mean, it has to be like in, where I initially thought it would see plays, if there's any kind of like mono blue tempo deck, I think it's a really powerful tool in that spot uh, to just like force damage, protect threats, and then tap out and do stuff theoretically, or near tap out and do stuff. I mean, when you when you have Hinata, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, it does a lot. Uh, you get a lot of lethal attacks through that way, and I, I love decks that can just push damage out of nowhere. And this deck is so so good at that in so many scenarios. Yeah, burst potential is definitely huge from both decks. And it, yeah, it's interesting because it's like underdog is supposed to be really good against these sort of grindy decks, but it's just like the life that you're paying matters a lot. And, you know, maybe they get in a hit with a gold span dragon. And then mm-hmm. once magma opus hits, you know, they're probably time walking you killing some of your stuff, making a four, four and blockers. Yeah, yeah. Maybe dealing you some damage. Right. And it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm very dead. You know, you, you just get killed so quickly out of nowhere from these decks, which I love. Yeah. These decks are all very cognizant of underdog as well. Like you mentioned, flame blast bolts all over the place. So great job of deck building. I think as far as eight set standards go, this being the final metagame we see, it's acceptable. I, I don't think it's what anyone wants, but it is, uh, better than most of the eight set standards we have played recently. And at least it's changing. It doesn't feel like we've just done the same thing throughout. And that is uh, good and a little surprising given how good things like, uh, you know, Goldspan Dragon are. It did take some bans, so uh, we wouldn't have gotten here otherwise. But I'm I'm okay with where we ended up. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that all of these mid-range decks would be viable if Epiphany was still legal, right? And that is, and I think that's what Epiphany is supposed to do, right? Like that's its intended purpose is to not let things get like this. But you also don't just want Epiphany to be the thing that's preventing things to get like this because you don't play games. So. Right. I So I don't mind this if it's like, okay, Esper is a really good deck, but I'm going to play Grixis to kind of 
bully that because I have Evelyn and you can't kill it. And then there are some Jun decks that are like, I'm going to kind of do the same thing as you, but maybe go a little bit bigger and outvalue you, you know? And then there are the control decks that go way over the top. I just wish that there was an aggro deck that was an aggro deck. also yeah. viable alongside all of this stuff. And I, th- yeah. I think that this would look really solid. And I think you're an aggro deck away from a 7 out of 10 format. Yeah. And the format has problematic cards, absolutely. And I think that that is just going to be the case in any 8-set standard format. It's like, is is Fable of the Mirror Breaker better or worse for a standard format than Thragtusk was, for example, right? Yeah, I, I probably take Fable of the Mirror Breaker, but I guess it depends a lot on the context of things going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we still have a rotation with this thing legal, so <laughs> we'll yep, see. It, it'll be a while till we get rid of it and we'll, we'll have to check in on how we feel about it, you know, a year from now. Yeah. Maybe I should get some cool, I don't know, reflection tokens or Oh, that's or not something. a bad idea. Yeah. We'll figure it out if there's ever a standard tournament. Maybe, maybe next qualifying season, they'll start caring about standard again. Yeah, I, th- I think you'll get some run on those things, even if you have to play Pioneer or other formats. Is there anything we missed? No, we've covered everything in the world, and we've done a great job. Oh, cool. So I can go Easy, back to right? bed now, is what you're saying. Yes, you go take a nap. Uh, I may also take a nap. I'm a little sleepy. I was up early. Uh, wife is out of town, so I'm on dog duty all week, and uh, nothing wrong. with Getting a little nap in in the midday. You know it's bad when you start talking to me at 7 a.m. I'm still up, and I'm also like, why are you up so early? Like in, in kind of like an accusatory tone, but it's just like, why am I still awake? You know? Yeah. Both very good questions. And then it's like, Hey, uh, don't, don't worry. Let's just record a podcast in four hours. I'm sure that'll work out well. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out though, again, you and I will never be well rested again until we die. That is just a function of being old. And, uh, damn, those are, that's the way we're going to record our podcast from now on. When you, when you put it that way. I don't know. It sort of puts everything into perspective. Like I knew that, but I didn't actively think it. Well, there's only one end game for us all, Gerald, and that's game. Good luck.